Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In terms of her, Lucille Ball, the woman, I'm like, God, what she took on. And I don't think anybody knows that about her. Nobody knows yeah. those things. I mean, certainly there's some hardcore fans, but the world doesn't. I've got women that work for me that have seen the film and read the story now and gone, I love her. I love what she yeah. stood for. I love what she, how she, even when she was anxious, she would manifest all of that into her work, which is what you see when she's show running. Because a lot of that is to mm-hmm. do with her personal life and she's like, well, there's one thing I know how to do and that's comedy and that's direct and that's make this show good. I know how to do that. My whole life may be falling apart, but if I focus on this and get the joke, whew, at least there's something I'm controlling. That's fascinating as an actor. You know, how does anxiety manifest? How does pain manifest? How does vulnerability and fragility manifest? Hello and welcome to The Awardists from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm Clarissa Cruz, EW's Executive Editor. I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Rothkopf, EW's Senior Movies Editor. Hi, Josh. Hey. Today we have a very special guest with us, EW writer Maureen Lee Lenker. Hi, Maureen. Hi, Josh. Hi, Clarissa. Hi. Hi. On today's episode, we're going to be bringing you our interview with Nicole Kidman, whose turn as Lucille Ball and being the Ricardos during one very memorable week of I Love Lucy's production has launched her to the front of the Oscar pack. Before we present that interview, though, we're going to talk about all things Ricardos. We're going to talk about Aaron Sorkin's script and his direction. We'll talk about the performances and who stands to do best on Oscar night. But first, let's chat a little bit about Nicole Kidman, who I also just saw in a Northman. Uh, <laughs> girls definitely got got range. Um, what is this? Is a question for both of you. What is your favorite Nicole performance, and how does her performance in Ricardo's represent an evolution for her? Well, mine is. This should be no surprise, given that I'm such a musical theater nerd, because mine is definitely Moulin Rouge. Like I, <gasps> I love her. In that she's yeah. so wonderful in that, and it's such a unfiltered free performance like I felt like she just really let go and gave herself over to the beautiful chaos that is that movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um I think that's her her most beautiful as well not that that is relevant to her acting abilities um and um I love the mix of things she gets to do in that like she it's abject tragedy it's Camille it's you know Romeo and Juliet um but she's also very funny in it, like in the scene where she's trying to seduce Ewan McGregor. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like that serves her well in being the Ricardos as well, because she has to be quote unquote funny as Lucy, um, but much more serious and tenacious as Lucille Ball. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What about you, Josh? What's your favorite Nicole performance? I've always tended to lean toward the more dramatic Nicole, and it's hard to pick just one. I I really love her in To Die For, 
Oh, you stole mine. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean obviously you could, you can, but I mean, I could just as easily have said uh, Birth, which is just such an incredible performance. Jonathan Glazer's Birth, he's the director who did Sexy Beast and Under the Skin. And Birth is a very unusual movie, if you haven't seen it, about a woman who loses her husband in an accident and then suddenly it's implied that he is reincarnated into the person of a very young boy. And over the course of the movie, Nicole really has to sell this idea that she is actually falling in love with this like nine-year-old kid, I think. And it's very unsettling, <laughs> a very strange movie. But I mean, just that kind of intense ferocity that she can sometimes get when she really like seizes onto something like she's a she's the real deal. She's an actor mm. who who has I mean, uh, for, you know, obviously as beautiful as she is, she is someone who has no problem getting really messy and dirty in the ideas of a film. And I, I could have also said eyes wide shut. I think that she's mm. extraordinary in that film. And obviously that's a film that splits opinion like a lot of Kubrick does, but I think that she is definitely the best acting about it. And in, in the sense that, again, I feel like she's being asked to carry a strange dramatic idea on her back and she does it extremely well. And it, it speaks to her range that so far we've talked about a thriller and a sex movie and a musical and and now Clarissa, what what would you say is your favorite? <laughs> like I said earlier, uh, to die for um, I think is is probably whenever I think of Nicole Kidman, I think of that role and I and it's weird to say that because she's had so many really amazing roles, but I just loved her in this. She was so believable. She was so naughty. I mean, her her scenes with Joaquin Phoenix were just mesmerizing. And I, I just thought she she showed a lot of range just within that role. And then um, just a special shout out to her performance in Days of Thunder, because <laughs> not because that, that, that not because that was the best movie ever, but just the fact that she had a straight face while they were doing that sweet and low on her leg scene, <laughs> the sugar packet. I don't know if any if I'm the only one who remembers that that scene, but. Uh, she and she and Tom Cruise were sort of reenacting. A, um, he was trying to explain the concept of drafting in a race car and using sweet and low packets on her leg to illustrate her, his point. And um, and that uh, I think just the fact that she actually uh, kept a straight face during that was very very impressive. That was one of my lockdown movies when during, during the worst of the pandemic when we, we drove to a drive-in theater to see Days of Thunder, and I don't think I had seen it. In- <laughs> Since the since 1990 or whenever it was that it came out, and it still holds up. It still holds up in a drive-through. I will see, but it's interesting that you mentioned to die for because it, I feel like that that's a really good segue almost into into being the Ricardos because it's in to die for. You have you have a character who is obviously much smarter than she's letting on. She is someone who's thinking ahead of virtually everyone else in the cast. And she is um, she she is a character who is acting to some extent, like like her weather girl newscaster is obviously a striver in to die for. But Lucille Ball was obviously someone who was on screen and off screen performing to some degree. And I feel like that's maybe a key to understanding that film. Maureen, let me ask you that. What what is what is it about this portrayal of Lucille Ball that Kidman is doing does it bring us past what we already know of Lucille Ball? What is what do you think the key to this performance is? 
I honestly feel like it really depends on what you as an audience member um, coming in know of Lucille Ball. I mean, if you are just a casual fan of her, have seen her on I Love Lucy and really haven't seen much else from her lengthy film career that predated and then um, continued after I Love Lucy, um, I think this will be very surprising to you because I think most of the world assumes that Lucy Ricardo and Lucille Ball are the same person. And that's very much not true. And definitely a, a large part of Sorkin's film is all about showing the ways in which that's not true and um, the genius ways in which she crafted and meticulously plotted every beat of who Lucy Ricardo was, but also the absolutely cutthroat and intelligent businesswoman she was behind the scenes. And the fact that she was much, much more glamorous than uh, Lucy Ricardo. She was not this stuffy, trussed up housewife. She, you know, Sorkin said it a bunch of times. She looks more like Rita Hayworth than Lucy Ricardo in real life. Uh, Lucy and Desi were both much more glamorous in this movie, I think, than, <laughs> yes. than they were given credit for for the show. So yeah, I think yeah. if you if you're already a fan of her work, you probably already knew that. But I, I would gather that a, a good portion of the audience doesn't know that. Yeah, more glamorous, and also I, I feel like she is as presented in being the Ricardos, and this is something that I really resonated with. She's something that we don't have a term for yet in at that moment, which is a showrunner, right? I mean, she is. She is basically a shadow showrunner of I Love Lucy. She is the prime mover. She is the artistic motivator of the film, of, of that series, excuse me. And she's, you know, working the comedic beats late into the night and, and has a vision for it. And I think that, that that's such like an unsung story. I mean, if you know about Lucille Ball's career, you know that she is um, she is much more creative behind the scenes than people understand. But and there's another, actually, as a, a small side note, there is another version of Lucille Ball obliquely on screen this season, and that's in Licorice Pizza, when Gary Valentine, we see him in that film, go to that TV show in New York where he's d dancing, and there's a host <laughs> who's a brassy host who's in charge who comes out. That's supposed to be a version of Lucille Ball. And oh, she, I didn't she, know that. Yes, and she did continue mm -hmm. into the 60s and 70s doing um, doing television and doing it's other things. It's supposed to be yours, so, mine, and ours, right, Josh? Exactly, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, but I but I, I like Lucille Ball, the power broker. I like Lucille Ball, the sort of, the negotiator. She obviously, I think, gets a lot of strength from her husband, but also there's a vulnerability that comes through given his infidelities and her insecurity about that. Sorkin obviously has a vibe when he makes a script or when he directs a film at this point. Do you think that this is Sorkin's best female character? I don't know. I don't think, I'm not sure if it's, if it's about, I mean, I, she certainly was my favorite thing in this movie. So I, I really appreciate her female character in this, but I also think, I don't know, part of me is thinking after Trial of Chicago 7, someone said, you know, he, he needs to write better, better women. And, um, and this seems to be a direct response to that or a direct counter to that, because there seems to be more. Um, attention uh, lavished on the female characters in this movie. So, um, you know, I, I'm not, that's just a cynical side of me, but I, I, what do you all think? I wouldn't say it's his best because I'm a huge Molly's Game fan. And I thought that uh, Jessica Chastain was absolutely fantastic in that. And that's such a difficult performance. It's, you know, very typical rat-a-tat-tat, fast Sorkin dialogue. And in some ways, this still had that, but it was also 
getting much more into the language of the show of I Love Lucy as well. So it couldn't quite go as far as it really does in that regard, I felt. Um, and also, I just feel that even though this is probably a more complex and complicated version of Lucille Ball than many audiences will have been exposed to before, she is still so much more complicated and complex than we get of her in this film, partly because she is a real person, that it's it's hard to say that it's his best for me. Yeah. Right, right. And also, also your your base of knowledge, Maureen. Like I think it's so much more <laughs> yeah, than the than the than the, the average, average person. I I mean I I knew broad strokes of her life, so I thought I watching watching this film was very illuminating to me. But like like I said earlier, like I it's a bit I, I think um, tricky with his writing of female characters. Um, though I do think that her performance is really great. Yeah, and I love Nina Arianda in this as well. Yes. She is phenomenal mm-hmm. as Vivian Vance and. Unfortunately, I think the most overlooked or at least the only one of the that main quartet that didn't get an Oscar nomination. But I think the writing for her and the writing for um, Madeline Pugh, the character of Madeline Pugh, is really wonderful as well. And, and they're placed in this fantastic triangulation of these women who are trying to make their mark in a male-dominated industry without tearing each other down, but also like sometimes needing a... St- to assert themselves over the other for the good of the production itself and sort of the nuances of that and how you're trying to be a good ally to other women on set, but also like do the best at your job for the sake of the production and, and how complicated that can be. Um, But yeah, I was going to say Clarissa, it's like, I, I have a redheaded mother named Lucy. So I, you know, kind of was born into (laughs) loving. I love Lucy and Lucille Ball, no matter what. (laughs) Yeah, That's amazing. That's amazing. It's nice, I think, to see this kind of material too in a, in a script. The, the idea of who carries the the power. How do women function on these the sets, on television sets in the, in the 50s, and what what is the place and what how is Lucille Ball expanding that role outward? And like, I love seeing that content in a movie. That said, I have to admit that Sorkin's style has never really worked for me all that well, and that's including West Wing. I just I I find it sometimes to be such a relentless blasphemy. I know, right? <laughs> blasphemy and West Wing. I mean, I understand, but but don't 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 touch my West Wing. <laughs> I know, and I just I, 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 and, and and Social Network too, which is a film that I love, but I, I just it's such a relentless uh, data dump sometimes, and it feels very declamatory. And he's obviously getting his point out, and people are speaking in scripties, and it's you know it's it's very composed it never really feels natural to me and that's fine there's a lot of screenwriting that isn't natural that's not supposed to feel natural and when he has a monologue and say something like the newsroom he's making a point and i understand that but this is also to speaking to nicole kidman's strength in the film because i feel like sorkin really benefits from having an actor like kidman because i think nicole kidman is at root sort of an internal actor she can do dialogue and she can do accents and she she can do uh, fast-paced uh, monologuing really well. But I think her real strength is is keeping something inside, keeping tensions inside. And, and a lot of the movies that we mentioned before, I think especially at Moulin Rouge and To Die For, are, are very internal performances in a lot of ways, even though they are singing and dancing and being on television as weather people. You know, these are people who are thinking, characters who are thinking and kind of scheming. And I think that she's perfect for Sorkin because she's she's giving this script, which has 
a lot on its mind and a lot, it's going to tell you a lot about, in fact, it compresses a lot of events into a single week and they weren't in a single week, which is fine. Who cares? But, but uh, <laughs> it, because it has it so much on its mind to convey as in terms of just sheer plot, that's actors like Nicole Kidman really help it to sing in a more emotional way, at least for me, the quieter actors or someone like Jesse Eisenberg, who I think is the perfect Sorkin actor in the mm. sense that he is just a sort of a talking, yammering actor, you know, in social, he's Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> he, is, he has no social graces and he's perfect for that role. So, so I thought that this was actually a good evolution in a way to Sorkin's filmmaking and his project in general, because he needs to cast more actors like Nicole Kidman. I honestly have to say I was really skeptical when they first announced the casting for this because I'm always kind of on the fence about these like sort of classic Hollywood biopics. I I like the idea that it's introducing some portion of the audience to someone they probably don't know a lot about and might encourage them to go seek out more of their work. And I think that's an important aspect of it. But then I'm also like, but you could just watch their work and it's so much better. Um, and, and so I was very concerned when Kidman was first cast, but I, I do really think she ended up giving a stellar performance. I, I think she was weaker in the Lucy Ricardo segments, but as Lucille Ball herself, it was a, it was a yeah. great performance. Yeah. I mean, that, that laundry room scene. She's doing the laundry in the middle of the night, oh. and 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 you and and you and you realize later what she's realizing there, mm-hmm. and it, that and that was I mean that was just devastating. That's what I was like, oh man, this she's she's she. Like, I I was skeptical too because they don't look alike. No, you know? they don't. And not not that they have to. Obviously, you know, actresses make transformations. I mean, she won her Oscar because she because of her, one of her transformations. <laughs> so so, but that and you know, and I and I still didn't totally buy it, but then. I realized that she was the essence of her, mm-hmm. and um, and in that scene, I wasn't even. I, I by then I had forgotten about it. Yeah, uh, same. About the, any dissimilarity. So yeah, Sorkin did a great job in terms of letting it slowly creep up on you, so you don't get her for a very extended period of time as Lucy Ricardo until the very end of the film, and therefore by then you're so bought into what she's doing and her version of Lucille Ball that it does look right and it looks exact because you're not looking to poke holes in it by the time you get there. Mm-hmm. How do you think she stands in in this race compared to the other contenders? I think that's a really interesting question because she has somehow surged, I think. Uh, she is a real contender in this race. And I think it the race has been a bit pear-shaped, lopsided in, in the sense that I feel like a lot of people who we're anticipating, say, Lady Gaga or Jennifer Hudson to be factors, or suddenly they're not. And we have, we have, I think, one of the tightest best actress races in a while. I, when it comes to Kidman's performance, I feel like it's probably the most mannered of the five. And I don't even necessarily mean that in a bad way, but even Jessica Chastain under like inches of makeup and all the transformation that she did in Eyes of Tammy Faye, I still feel more of Jessica Chastain in that. And whereas with, with Kidman, I think she's really transforming into a historical figure. Olivia Coleman is doing her masterful, amazing thing. Um, and in the lost daughter. And I mean, the, the idea that she isn't a major factor in this race would be just crazy because she's been nominated. What this is her fourth nomination in three years, third, third nomination in four years, third in four years. Mm -hmm. And, and that's coming off one win as well. I think that she's 
she's amazing in that film. How do you think that uh, Kidman is is stacking up in the race? I mean, I think the Academy loves her. So that's a, a big mm-hmm. factor. And I think that's a large part of why she got the nomination in the first place. Um, because she does consistently turn in really good work. And she gives good award season. She's a great campaigner. <laughs> she um, is fantastic at, at doing interviews and explaining her work and, and digging into her process in ways that people can understand. And, um, you know, I think of the way she did the gamut of the award circuit for Big Little Lies and how she was really the superstar of that television award season of the Globes and the Emmys. And and I think that that definitely will help her because at the end of the day, we all know this isn't just about the quality of the work. <laughs> and, um, you know, if I had to pick who I feel is most deserving, probably Kristen Stewart, but I feel like she has lost a lot of momentum because that uh, had such a early buzz and now has sort of fallen to the wayside and been more polarizing um, as its time in the race has gone on. I agree with you too, because it's been a long season and it's really hard to sustain that momentum, you know, throughout. For Nicole, I mean, I remember, I I remember seeing this pretty early and, and saying that I have mixed feelings about the movie, but I really love her. I think we talked about this like early on in the podcast and I remember you and, um, Joey, Josh were like, uh, and I'm like, no, I, I do think that there's something there. I think there's something there. Um, but what this movie I think has going for her is that, you know, Academy loves movies about mm. Hollywood and yeah. the process and acting and, you know, making television and all, all of that. And I think we, I think that's a bigger factor then we may give it credit for, you know, I think that's what a lot of the surging is coming from. And also the screenings um, that happened. I mean, there was such a bump in buzz around that movie. And and that was something that uh, you and I didn't expect, Josh, I remember. And and so that was surprising. Yeah, that was that was surprising. And you're, you're 100 percent right in the sense that no, there's nothing that Hollywood loves more than stories about itself. And this is this is definitely a movie about, you know, will a bunch of millionaires get to continue making their TV show? So I feel like if there is an audience for it, it is, it is the voters, it's the Ampus voters who, who I think will most likely award it. I mean, there is also another piece of Oscar logic, take it with a grain of salt, that dictates that very often the most acting will win, not necessarily mm. the best acting and not necessarily the, su- the most subtle acting. And this is, again, I, I, it sounds like way too much of a dig against Nicole, who I think is very good in this, but... She is her performance is definitely the loudest in this film. It's definitely the most forward and among the five compared to something like Penelope Cruz, who's so subtle in in Parallel Mothers, you know, and or Kristen Stewart, who is actually doing this crazy psychological deep dive into Diana, a character that we know already very well. I feel like Nicole Kidman is doing something that's extremely, you know, brassy and forward. And and all the moments and beats in being the Ricardos are presented for us to understand. And they're articulated by Kidman in a way that make them very palatable. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if um, Lucy and Desi, Amy Poehler's documentary, which comes out uh, March 4th, I believe. Um, I'll be interested to see if that has any impact. Um, and and generates more more or less interest or praise for this film and this performance since it will give a lot of the same story but as told by the real players in juxtaposition to it because 
Yeah, Hollywood does love stories of itself. And and Lucy and Desi are having a moment right now because last fall was the 70th anniversary of I Love Lucy. Also, I think Sorkin's messaging plays really well with Academy voters as well. Like the blacklist and and free speech and and subjects like that are they hold near and dear to their hearts. Um, and so that certainly is is teed up to appeal to them as well. And I think to be to, to sort of puncture Josh's, you know, will the millionaires get to keep their TV show? I just think it's impossible for us to understand today the weight and impact of HUAC and the Red Scare and the way that the blacklist could utterly destroy people's lives and the very, very real danger that hung in the balance in that week on the show. Um, because it, it wasn't just about keeping the TV show. Like, honestly, if it hadn't gone the way it did, Desi and Lucy's careers and lives would have been ruined and people died because of this, literally. Like, John Garfield had a heart attack and died because of HUAC. Um, so I do just want to put in, like, a little vote for that. <laughs> yes, and it, and it is kind of an enormous disparity between then and now where you actually have you have certain politicians taking taking the side of the Russians. So so it's it's weird to think about this movie existing in the moment that we are in right now with HUAC and Scandal versus where we are now. I think there is something also timely about who gets to tell these stories for popular consumption. Mm. You know, like what is it what does it mean to have a family on television? And when that family is driven by a man or male writers, how is that different from when it's driven by female writers? I think that that's a question that's always going to be perennial, especially when so many of the male writers are getting into trouble. I think about Bill Cosby, for example, and like the idea of what is the, what is the perfect TV family or the, the archetypal TV family when it, what we start with I Love Lucy. And I think it's interesting that that was one that was so created and driven by a female voice, one that was evolving over time. And I also think people nowadays, we just watch I Love Lucy and, and we laugh and it's in black and white and it's this great piece of nostalgia and television history. And I, I think we've forgotten that in 1951, an interracial marriage with a man who had a thick Cuban accent was really mm. groundbreaking. And there would have been a lot of people who would have decided not to watch for that reason. And and how the ways in which Desi and Lucy sort of steamrolled through prejudice um, and became the most popular show on television is quite extraordinary. That's extraordinary. It's also, I mean, I don't want to make everyone here feel a lot older, but when I was watching I Love Lucy in syndication, it was about the same distance away from my real life that like Friends is for today's <laughs> people watching that in syndication. So you're talking about a span of 30 years and how 30 years can really change in terms of what we see on television, what's allowed to be seen on television. I have a strong suspicion that when I return to being the Ricardos, and I actually have seen it twice, I saw it again when I talked to J.K. Simmons, who's a performance that we didn't even touch on. He's so extraordinary in this, doing what he always does, right? But, but I have a feeling that when I return to it yet again, it will continue to get deeper and deeper for me. And I, that's, I think, the mark of a dense film and the mark of a film that has riches that I've yet to figure out and explore. When we return, we will have our interview with Nicole Kidman, so stay with us. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nicole, thank you for joining us on the award. When I'm watching Being the Ricardos, especially those scenes where we see Lucille Ball working the comedy beats and rehearsing it and working the scripts over and over again, I'm realizing Mm. that she's really a a word that didn't exist at the time, but she's a showrunner. She's like a private behind the scenes showrunner. And so I was wondering, maybe as a first question to you, did your appreciation of Lucille Ball grow and change over the course of you working on this movie? Because I'm sure you knew her as a comedian. I mean, I knew her as the um, Lucy Ricardo. I knew her as the, oh, she was this exquisite sort of funny clown on a show that we you know I would stay home and watch reruns of it um, if I was allowed to from school and that kind of thing. But I didn't have any idea. I had no idea about Desi Lu. I didn't know anything about their production company. I didn't know anything about her as a woman. I, I really was, like a lot of people, discovering Lucille Ball um, when I read the screenplay and then subsequently went, okay, I'm going to jump in and now I've got to do all my research and homework. And as I unfurled her and sort of pulled the layers back, I was like, oh, my God, because there's so many interviews and there's so many, uh, so much footage of her as Lucy Ricardo, but there's riveting footage of her as Lucille Ball, the woman. And her life yeah. is a, is an extraordinary journey that sort of aligns with certain parts of my life you know, similar encounters, even though we're decades apart and um, similar struggles and challenges. And so there was this sort of coming together of of our psyches and there was also things that she did that I was like, oh, I'd love to be more like that or learn from that. And, and it was just a, a really fascinating journey for me and not one I mm. would have, I would never have gone Oh, I know. I really want to play Lucille Ball. <laughs> that was a <laughs> which is why I say as an actor to always, you know, I try to stay open so that I'm taken on these paths that I would never expect. And I and I feel like the script is written in such a way, it's nuanced that we see her both seizing moments where she can have power mm. and ha- and embodying that and also there's a lot of vulnerability, and and part of that is the, the moments that she's living in. I had the opportunity to speak to J.K. a little bit about this too. The idea of her castmates and how respected she was, uh, you know, as a figure in television, was dealing with that, you know, especially the infidelity that that she reckoned with during her life and the betrayals from studios and stuff. Is that something that you have encountered or that you resonated with? I think what's interesting for me is that Lucille Ball was she was this woman that was trailblazing in a in a trail that's never been cut. So that was to me was yeah. like, oh my gosh. And the the marriage part of it, so the the idea that yeah, she was 
brilliant creatively and she had all these desires and she wanted, you know, she was in B movies. She'd reached a stage in her life where she thought, well, I'm I'm actually not going to get any further than this and this is kind of it, which is okay. I'm at, you know, there's that wonderful line she goes and I'm at ease with that, you know. And yeah. but she meets Desi and Desi says, no, you're more you're more than than what you've done. You'll see. I believe in you. I've definitely been the receiver of that, where yeah. people have believed in me. My partner's believed in me more than I've believed in me. <laughs> where he's <laughs> gone, mm, I think there's still more. Even this film, doing this film, my husband was like, go do it. We'll support you. We're there. I know it feels dangerous and I know it feels like you're going to fail, but if you do, we're there to catch you. I mean, that's an amazing support. Lucy had that, but she also had a lot of other things going on and that's what makes the story riveting. But the primary base of the relationship is protection and love and I think that's what mm-hmm. why Lucy Arnez, who saw it, was like, you've captured my parents, to both Javier and I and to Aaron, you know, because it was like, and she cried when she saw the film and I, we were both terrified that she was going to be completely disappointed or go, but she had the opposite effect and therefore sort of gave us more confidence and more courage to take it out to the world. But now I look back and go, oh, my God, what if she hadn't? And she's pretty straight shooter. <laughs> she's like her mother, <laughs> you know, where she's right. like she says it straight. And that's such a good lesson yeah. as an actor. Don't ever go to the what if this isn't going to work. Just stay on the yeah. path of doing the best you can do and the rest is up to the film gods, you know, or whatever you believe in. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, but in terms of her, Lucille Ball, the woman, I'm like, God what she took on, and I don't think anybody knows that about her. Nobody knows those things. I mean, certainly there's some hardcore fans, but the world doesn't. I've got women that work for me that have seen the film and read the story now and gone, I love her. I love what she stood for. I love what she, how she, even when she was anxious, she would manifest all of that into her work, which is what you see when she's show running. Because a lot of that is to do with her personal life and she's like, well, there's one thing I know how to do and that's comedy and that's direct and that's make this show good. I know how to do that. My whole life may be falling apart, but if I focus on this and get the joke, whew, at least there's something I'm controlling. And that's right. that's fascinating as an actor. You know, how does anxiety manifest? How does pain manifest? How does vulnerability and fragility manifest? That's like a real piece of wisdom about acting and and pushing forward on the thing that you know. I think most of us know Aaron primarily still as a writer, although he's directed some films now. Mm. How How is he as, as a director? I mean, I know he wrote the script. Does he allow for playfulness with his words? Does he allow for pushback? He did with us, yeah. We did some scenes over and over and over again. And sometimes he would go, I just want you to leave everything and just just do what you do get lost in it because I feel your best 
when you're not being ruled by all these exterior forces and the dialect and the look and the what you think she should be and all just be and that's great direction you know because it's like going I trust in my actors and um just take it and and explore it and this and it's so layered this script so like the monologue when I call um JK and Nina to the soundstage at sort of 3am in the morning yeah that is as an actor it was like oh god but that is so yes there's the words and then there's the subtext and then there's the subtext to the subtext so it's it's such beautiful writing what it says about a woman who's going i created the show so i could spend time with my husband i want this show everybody's job relies on me getting it right at the same time my life is falling apart because i've actually when you look at the film a second time you go oh that's where she discovers that her husband's unfaithful so i'm going to come into the one place that i know is the place that i can exist and have control and have the life that i actually want but it's not real life it's it's the show which is why the title because i was always like what's the title being the ricardos being the ricardos and now yeah it's so ironic being the ricardos because they create the ricardos to have the life she creates it to have the life she wants that she doesn't have in real life yet she's trapped by it because she's got to do 36 shows and the audience wants them to be lucy and ricky but they're actually lucille and desi I mean it's so kind of it's a fantastic full circle and then at the end for the final line to be Lucy I'm home and it's the line that's yeah. not in the show that line is never in the show Yeah everyone thinks like- that line is in the show and it's not There it's a terrain with his language and you can explore it but there's also a depth to it it's not just a surface terrain and I really feel that you explore that This is an extraordinary physical transformation and a vocal transformation for you as well and and, and that I think is something that um is immediately impressive in 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 the playing the rasp how did how did you get get your voice that there I mean it's interesting because at first Aaron said the one thing I want is the much deeper voice and my voice obviously operates at a much higher octave and yeah I smoke cigarettes but not incessantly and um it was sort of like ah oh, so i would do the vocal warm ups but it was so strange and this is such a good lesson as an actor is that i worked and worked on on the accent and getting the accent right and the vocal placement but as soon as i became her the rest of it just happened as soon as i mentally just went i am her i am lucille and i just sort of it's like you play this head game with yourself and then suddenly then it was just like she was there and she was in me and I was her and she was me and I can't quite say when it happened and then my voice and I love that voice I wish that that would come back but she's left me now <laughs> um it was just it flowed and suddenly yeah. the rhythm everything suddenly just started to happen and I could have improvised easily as her i mean i would i was just and then the lucy part of it i i did all the work the prep listening and da, 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 and wanting and he would say place it higher 
and then switching back and forth between the two, the rasp just stayed, you know. It was it never went. And it was mm-hmm. just I love doing it. I loved yeah. being her. She, I could do her now if I really warmed up because she was so present in me and I'm just so, I just was like crazy in love with her. And I've stayed really close to her daughter partly because I think it keeps me close to her. It's really weird. That's really interesting. Acting's weird. It's, 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 it's weird, but I've heard this before and it makes sense to you. Mm. Was she Brooklyn or Bronx? I'm forgetting Lucille Ball. Was she, she was a New Yorker, right? Yeah, but she was also a product of those movies where they take that right. out of you. So where they strip all that out of yeah. you. Yeah. So you've got all these layers where you're going, oh my gosh. So she was then because they were all triple threats that to sing and dance, and then they had dialect training, and they had to because they're meant to be of a particular look. I mean, one of the great things is when she became a redhead, they were like, she'll be a star when she becomes a redhead. You know, I can't remember the colorist, what was his name, but, you know, because everyone was blonde then. And so suddenly she stood out. She was redheaded because it was almost like cookie cutter. And I love the scene where she gets the role and comes home to Desi and goes, I got it. This is going to, and it doesn't pan out and they let her go. And she's like, but we got good reviews and you didn't lose money. And they're like, yeah, but your time's up. You're 39 and it's over. And the devastation at that, I love that scene because it's a very real scene, that scene. And she defied it. You know, she, she came back. It. Oh. Did you feel a sense of empowerment when you put on that red hair and you did that rasp? Yeah. Yeah. And there yeah. was a really great scene where, and people miss it, but um, a lot of the film, I think it requires a second viewing or a third viewing because, you know, Aaron sits me behind the desk. We were sort of playing around and he goes, sit behind the desk. And I'm like, okay, I'll sit behind the desk and Desi will be in front of the desk. And he's like, put your feet up on the desk. And I've got the cigarette and I'm sort of, and then suddenly my feet are up on the desk and suddenly Lucille appeared. But I would never go, oh, right, a woman putting her feet up on the desk with this room full of men, executives, you know, the Philip Morris representative, all of those guys, and she's got the balls to sit there with her legs up on the desk and Desi in in the seat. But it says so much about her because yeah. she was leading. She was the leader. Yeah. He was the protector. She was leading the confidence, the ease that she had. Yeah. And knowing that. There is no show without her. The, I mean, there. Yeah. At, at ultimately, there's. But there's that. also the desire to have a family, a husband, a life, a real life, and that's her vulnerability. And that was a huge part of her thrust. So she had all this brilliance, and then she's like, "But I want my husband to be at home, and I want my kids." And I want my home and I want my life. And that was that's a very true part of her is she would repeat over and over the desire to have a home. And I so relate to that. The home is really important, which is why that that line is Lucy, I'm home. And she didn't get the home. She got the home on a soundstage. Oh, I love that. It makes me cry. I I don't like that. 
it's a beautiful, beautiful performance, and you and I'm I'm glad it makes you cry because it's it's really special work, and you should be very proud. Because of it. I want a home, and I've got a home. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about a question about home because I know I'm running yeah. out of time, but we've been asking everyone on the awardist since we've all gone through the lockdown and the pandemic, if they wouldn't mind sharing with us some other piece of art or film or a TV series that kept you sane during the lockdown, maybe something where you said, ooh, I wish I could have played that role or something where you were watching and you're like, I have to binge this immediately, the whole thing. Get Back, the Beatles documentary. Yes, yeah. What was it about Get Back that you loved? You're with Paul and John, you're with them. You're literally in the room with them. Peter Jackson, I don't know how he did it, but I love it. And, you know, I've got a muso husband, so to be to see it through his eyes too, to get a running commentary with him beside me watching it. But how much do you love that band? And, and watching them make this, I mean, it was just like, at first it started off and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stick with this. And then it's like, whew, What I also love about it is the way um, there's so much received wisdom over the decades about how Yoko broke up the band or all those that that you realize is just bullshit watching this documentary. Right. I mean, it's it really kind of cuts through that. I just love how nonchalant they are. Then they're not stressed and they ask you. Then suddenly they're just doing music. It's so um, comforting. It's the weirdest thing. I found it really comforting. As an actor, as an artist, you just go, oh, and all the things swirling around, and they kind of just seem to just go with the flow. And they'd, they'd be stressed, and then they wouldn't, and then they'd be, and then they'd be drinking tea, and then they'd be eating. I was just like, and what about the clothes? Are you kidding me? All of them. The clothes are insane, <laughs> and the fact that you could just sit there and just play your guitar enough. And then get back comes out of it. Yeah, but it was just really I, hypnotic and beguiling. So, thank you, I Peter agree, Jackson, I and thank you to the Beatles. Glad you shared that with us. <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I know that I know they that live I'm on these people. Lucille, she lives on. <laughs> you keep telling the stories. You keep showing footage of them and the Beatles and Lucille Ball and all these and Desi Arnett. All of them, they live on. You know, through our storytelling now and teach another generation as well, which is kind of great, right? Inspire another generation who don't really know them. Thank you so much, Nicole, for joining us and sharing your love of Get Back with all of us. A uh, apt vote of confidence from a woman who can now be Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds 2.0. Being the Ricardos is on Prime Video now if you want to check it out yourself. And thank you so much for joining us. That was this week's episode of The Awardist. Please subscribe and listen along every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, tell us what you think, share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com slash awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race. And follow me on Twitter at at the Maureen Lee, Clarissa at Clarissa NYC one, and Josh at Josh Rothkopf. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Clarissa Cruz and Josh Rothkopf, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited and mixed by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.